Hello, everyone, and welcome to the May 15th edition of WarComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with Floyd, Skern and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The Court of Appeal ruled that a workers' compensation insurance carrier has the right to retroactively cancel an insurance policy for fraud. Here's what happened in the case of Southern Insurance Company versus the WCAB. The EJ Distribution Corporation Application for Workers' Compensation Insurance claimed that EJ's employees did not travel out of state. It described its operations as local hauling and that EJ's employees did not have a radius of travel greater than 200 miles. Accordingly, Southern Insurance issued a workers' compensation policy beginning January 2009. In April 2009, EJ's employee David Barrios Segovia injured his back while on a trip to Tennessee and filed a workers' compensation claim. Southern's attorneys sent a letter to the employer rescinding the policy based on material misrepresentations or the concealment of material facts by EJ in the application for the policy. The uninsured employer's benefits trust fund was joined as a defendant in Segovia's workers' compensation claim since there was now an uninsured employer. The coverage issue was submitted to mandatory arbitration pursuant to Labor Code Section 5275A1. The carrier called an underwriter as a witness who testified that the company never insured long-haul trucking in its business division and the underwriter testified that had Southern known that the truckers traveled outside of the 200 miles or out of state, Southern would not have issued the policy. The underwriter, however, confirmed that the policy itself, in fact, all workers' compensation policies, do not contain an exclusion based upon location. But the arbitrator found that there was no retroactive rescission of the policy and Segovia's claim was covered by the policy, and the policy was only prospectively canceled. And the arbitrators dismissed the Uninsured Employers Benefits Trust Fund as a defendant. Southern's petition for reconsideration was denied by the WCAB, but the Court of Appeal reversed in the unpublished case. Insurance Code Section 676.8, which is entitled cancellation and failure to renew certain property insurance is specifically limited to workers' compensation insurance and it addresses only the cancellation of a policy. It does not even inferentially address rescission. But Section 650 of the Insurance Code provides that whenever a right to rescind a contract of insurance is given to the insurer, such right may be exercised at any time previous to the commencement of an action on the contract. Section 650 applies to workers' compensation policies. For this reason, the argument that rescission is precluded because of Section 676.8 does not provide the right to rescind a workers' compensation insurance was rejected by the Court of Appeal. The Uninsured Benefits Trust Fund also contended that once a workers' compensation claim has been filed, Section 650 precludes rescission. However, the Court of Appeal ruled that the filing of a workers' compensation claim is not 
the equivalent of an action on the contract. Contrary to the arbitrator's ruling, a workers' compensation insurance policy may be rescinded. This conclusion, the court said, is unavoidable that the insurer, whether Southern's rescission was legally effective, remains factually open and unresolved. The decision of the Appeals Board affirming the findings and award of the arbitrator was annulled, and the matter was remanded to the Appeals Board for further proceedings consistent with this opinion. And now our crime report. The U.S. Justice Department has opened an investigation of healthcare conglomerate Johnson & Johnson concerning management and advisory services provided to rheumatology and gastroenterology practices that bought two of its drugs. Its Janssen Biotech unit received a civil investigative demand from the Justice Department regarding an investigation under the False Claims Act related to its arthritis drugs, Remicade and Sampani Aria. The U.S. Attorney's Office in Massachusetts is also seeking documents broadly related to pharmaceutical copayment support programs for hepatitis C drug Oliciatum, Sampani, and Crohn's disease drug Stellaria. That office's subpoena also seeks documents relating to average manufacturer price and best price reporting to the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services related to those products, as well as rebate payments to state Medicaid agencies. And this is not the first time that there's been big trouble for Johnson & Johnson. Near the end of 2013, the company agreed to pay more than $2.2 billion to settle criminal and civil allegations of improper marketing of several prescription drugs. At the time, federal authorities described the case as one of the largest healthcare fraud settlements in U.S. history. Antipsychotic drug Resperidol, approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration only for treatment of schizophrenia, was allegedly marketed by a Johnson & Johnson subsidiary for use with elderly patients with dementia. Other violations involved marketing the drug to treat behavioral issues in the elderly and other long-term nursing patients. Additional off-label marketing violations by subsidiaries involved other drugs as well. Further allegations involved payments of kickbacks to physicians who prescribed some of the drugs and to a major pharmacy firm serving nursing homes. Following this case, in 2013, the company accepted a five-year corporate integrity agreement with federal authorities. But the five years are not yet over, and J&J &J faces yet another probe. Three men were convicted in Orange County Superior Court of defrauding workers' compensation insurance companies out of $70 million in an overbilling scheme. 42-year-old Jeffrey Edward Campu and 41-year-old Landon Allen Marallegro, both from Yorba Linda, were convicted of 24 counts of medical insurance fraud, 24 counts of manufacturing documents in support of a fraudulent claim, and seven counts of referral of clients for compensation. 65-year-old Abraham Korshad of Beverly Hills was convicted of three counts of medical insurance fraud. 
All three are subject to sentencing enhancements for aggravated white-collar crime over a half million dollars. In 2005, Campau, Malagro, and Korshad formed a durable medical equipment company named Aspen Medical Resources LLC and National Marketing LLC DBA National DME. Between 2005 and 2013, the defendants rented out a DME machine similar in function to an ice pack or heating pad, which provided both hot and cold modalities to alleviate inflammation and pain. The three defendants fraudulently overbilled insurance carriers for this DME by renting out one machine as two separate hot and cold machines, which were valued at less than $500 for as much as $15,500 to $18,000 per patient. Their companies submitted $70 million worth of claims for these hot and cold units to 21 insurance carriers, including the State Compensation Insurance Fund and Liberty Mutual. If a claim was not paid, the defendants filed a lien at the WCAB and aggressively collected on them. The defendants were informed by various insurance carriers that Aspen was billing for the units incorrectly, but they continued to bill the same way. By aggressively prosecuting their liens, it made it more cost-effective for the insurance carriers to pay them rather than fight them. The Orange County District Attorney and the California Department of Insurance seized all assets of the companies, which are now under receivership. For all remaining victims charged and uncharged, the defendants also voluntarily agreed to relinquish their ownership interest and agreed to dismiss all remaining liens valued at nearly $140 million. The agreement covers the following entities, Aspen Medical Resources, National Marketing DBA National DME, Elite Diagnostic, and Regional Imaging Center. They were ordered not to collect on or sell to third parties all healthcare liens submitted to workers' compensation carriers charged or uncharged. Braden Partners LP, doing business as Pacific Pulmonary Services, has agreed to pay $11.4 million to resolve allegations against it and its general partner, Tajin Pharma USA LLC, for violating the False Claims Act. The federal government has accused the entities of submitting claims for reimbursement in violation of program rules as part of a cross-referral kickback scheme with sleep clinics. California-based Pacific Pulmonary Services furnishes stationary and portable oxygen tanks and related supplies and sleep therapy equipment such as continuous positive airway pressure, known as CPAP machines, bi-level positive airway pressure masks, and related supplies to patients in California and other states. The government alleges that Pacific Pulmonary Services began submitting claims to the Medicare TRICARE, and Federal Employee Health Benefits Programs for home oxygen and oxygen equipment without obtaining a physician authorization as required by the program rules. And certain of the company's patient care coordinators also allegedly agreed to make patient referrals to sleep testing clinics in exchange for those clinics' agreement to refer patients back to Pacific Pulmonary Services 
for sleep therapy equipment. The special agent in charge of the case said that home oxygen equipment and related supplies are some of the most fraudulently built items of durable medical equipment. The settlement resolves allegations filed in a lawsuit filed in federal court in San Francisco by a former sales representative of Pacific Pulmonary Services. The lawsuit was filed by Manuel Alcane under the key tom or whistleblower provisions of the False Claim Act, and Mr. Alcane will receive $1.8 million of the recovered funds. A Lancaster-based radiation therapy center has paid $3 million to resolve allegations that it submitted fraudulent bills to three government-run healthcare programs for unsupervised radiation oncology services. Valley Tumor Medical Group paid over $2.8 million to the United States and over $130,000 to the state of California to resolve allegations in this whistleblower lawsuit. Valley Tumor's radiation therapists allegedly administered radiation oncology treatments at Valley Tumor's Ridgecrest location to beneficiaries of the three government health care programs when no doctor was on site at the center, which is required by federal regulations. Valley Tumor closed its Ridgecrest location in early 2016. The lawsuit was brought by a former employee under the key timer whistleblower provisions of the False Claim Act, which allows private citizens to bring suit on behalf of the government and share in any recovery. This whistleblower, Jared Schindler, received $555,000 from the settlement. Valley Tumor did not admit liability in settling the case. The Department of Industrial Relations and its Division of Workers' Compensation have suspended four more medical providers from participating in California's workers' compensation system. The DWC Acting Administrative Director George Parasato issued orders of suspension for two providers who had not appealed suspension notices issued in early April. Kenneth Johnson, a physician in Ladera Heights, was suspended based on a criminal conviction, his prior suspension from the Medicare program, and the loss of his professional license. Dr. Johnson was found guilty in February 2014 of federal charges for a $20 million scheme to defraud Medicare and Medi-Cal. Johnson pre-signed thousands of blank prescriptions that were used on fraudulent claims for antipsychotic medications by Manor Medical Imaging in Glendale. Raymond Severed, an orthopedic surgeon in Santa Rosa, was also suspended based on a criminal conviction related to his qualifications and duties as service provider and the loss of his professional license. Severed was convicted in Marin Superior Court for attempted lewd acts on a minor under the age of 14, and the Medical Board of California revoked his license following the conviction. Mr. Parasato also issued determinations and orders upholding the suspensions of two providers who had appealed their notices. Philip Sobal, an orthopedic surgeon in Los Angeles, was suspended based on a criminal conviction involving fraud and abuse of the workers' comp system. Sobal pled guilty in November 2015 for participating in a kickback scheme at Pacific Hospital of Long Beach, 
illegally referring thousands of his patients for spinal surgeries. Sobal did not challenge the grounds for suspension, but argued in his appeal that he could not be suspended because his conviction predated the new law and also that the DIR was required to use a different procedure to hear his appeal. The Workers' Compensation Administrative Law Judge William E. Gunn, who heard the appeal, rejected both arguments. And Thomas M. Herrick, a physician in Los Angeles, was suspended due to a criminal conviction and prior suspension from the medical pro- Medicare program. Herrick was convicted over a decade ago in Sacramento's Federal District Court for Medicare and Medicaid-related health care fraud, which also resulted in his suspension from those programs by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Workers' Compensation Administrative Law Judge Robert Mays rejected Herrick's argument that his convictions did not fit within a legal definition of fraud or abuse. AB 1244 requires the DWC Administrative Director to suspend any medical provider, physician, or practitioner from participating in the workers' comp system in cases in which one or more of the following is true. The provider has been convicted of a crime involving fraud or abuse of the Medicare, Medi-Cal programs or the workers' comp system, fraud or abuse of a patient or related types of conduct. The second ground, the provider has been suspended due to fraud or abuse from the Medicare or Medicaid, including Medi-Cal programs, or the provider's license or certificate to provide health care has been surrendered or revoked. There are currently 23 providers suspended from California's work comp system. The complete list, including these newly added names, are on the DIR website. Where the suspension is due to a conviction of a covered crime, AB 1244 also provides for the suspended provider's lien claims to be consolidated in a special lien proceeding and dismissed unless it can be shown that the liens were unrelated to the criminal conduct. Both of the providers who appealed their suspension have a significant volume of lien activity in the system. Dr. Sobal has nearly 6,000 active workers' compensation liens with an estimated total claim value of more than $42.7 million. Dr. Herrick presents a different set of circumstances in that he became active in California's work comp system after his federal conviction and suspension from the Medicare program. But Herrick is currently being prosecuted in Orange County Superior Court for alleged involvement in a medical insurance fraud scheme with Sim Carlisle Hoffman and several associated businesses. The liens of Drs. Hoffman and associated entities estimated at over 1,400 liens with an aggregate claim value of more than $7 million, are currently stayed and would become subject to consolidation following a conviction for the crimes charged. And in medical news, the Food and Drug Administration is under pressure to approve drugs faster and faster. But researchers at the Yale School of Medicine found that nearly a third of the drugs approved from 2001 through 2010 had major safety issues years after they were made widely available to patients. 
The report published in the Journal of the American Medical Association says that 71 of the 222 drugs approved in the first decade of the millennium were withdrawn or required a black box warning on side effects or warranted a safety announcement about new risks to the public. It took a median of 4.2 years after the drugs were approved for these safety concerns to come to light. And issues were more common among psychiatric drugs, biologic drugs, drugs that were granted accelerated approval, and drugs that were approved near the regulatory deadline for approval. Drugs ushered through the FDA's accelerated approval process were among those that had higher rates of safety interventions. These approvals typically rely on surrogate endpoints, meaning that researchers measure something other than survival, such as tumor size, to determine whether the drugs worked. In the 21st Century Cures Act, there's a push to have the FDA move to further support the use of surrogate markers, but they're more likely to have concerns in the post-market setting. Former President Barack Obama signed the 21st Century Cures Act into law last December. It offers ways to speed drug approval by pushing the FDA to consider different kinds of evidence beyond the three phases of traditional clinical trials. The new process has made some researchers worry that it will open the door for approvals of drugs that have not been adequately tested. The FDA's system for reporting drug and device-related health problems is voluntary. The reports are not verified and critics say this system is underutilized and filled with incomplete and late information. The FDA also monitors other available studies and reports to determine whether it needs to take action in a particular drug. FDA spokeswoman said the agency is reviewing the findings of this story. An accurate estimate of the life expectancy of a workers' compensation claimant is important for setting reserves, making or accepting offers for compromise and release, and certain other calculations such as commutations for attorney fees or lump sum payments. One method of estimating life expectancy is to use a one-size-fits-all chart or table based upon historical data. This is the method set by California Regulations, Section 10169, which are the commutation tables and instructions when a commutation of future benefits is ordered by a workers' comp judge. This table is based on the U.S. decennial life tables from 1989 through 91, a metric that is outdated by about two and a half decades. And the calculation of life expectancy is more complex now than ever. According to a new study just published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, inequalities in life expectancy among counties are large and growing. And much of the variation in life expectancy can be explained by differences in socioeconomic and race ethnicity factors, behavioral and metabolic risk factors, and health care factors. And earlier studies have routinely shown that life expectancy in the United States varies geographically, in some cases dramatically. Between 1980 and 2014, life expectancy at birth 
for both sexes combined in the United States increased by 5.3%. But this masks massive variations at the county level. Counties in central Colorado, Alaska, and along both coasts experience much higher increases in life expectancy. While some southern counties in states stretching from Oklahoma to West Virginia saw little, if any, improvement over the same period. Public health officials in Los Angeles examined life expectancy in 103 cities and unincorporated areas of the county with populations of more than 15,000. They found that Los Angeles County residents are living longer than ever with an average life expectancy of more than 80 years, according to public health officials. However, according to the study, Asian and Pacific Islander women had the longest average life expectancy of 86.9 years, while black men had the shortest of 69.4 years. They also assessed each of the 15 Los Angeles City Council districts. Of the cities, La Cañada Flint Ridge had the highest life expectancy of 87.8 years, while Compton had the lowest, 75.7 years. Life expectancy is viewed differently by the annuity companies that underwrite the Medicare set-aside trusts in workers' comp cases. This estimate is often referred to as rated age. Every life insurance company has different underwriting guidelines that determine what risk class an individual qualifies for. The company will typically look at an applicant's personal medical history, smoker status, height, weight profile, results of a medical exam, family medical history, motor vehicle record, and any hazardous activities such as aviation, scuba driving, or drag racing. Thus, a more sophisticated approach to estimating the life expectancy of an injured worker may be a valuable tool for claims administrators as they reserve cases and propose or reject settlement offers. And that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm Renee Fols, an attorney with Lloyd, Scarin and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news. Thank you.